Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining me today for the broadcast. So this is going to be a two-part message. And I want to talk to you about how to sustain your joy. And, you know, if you lose your joy, you're done, okay? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Your strength is zapped when you lose your joy. I'm going to share a couple of things by way of introduction to the message today. And as I share these things, uh, I certainly don't mean this to be a way of bragging about our church, but I'm doing it for a purpose, okay? And I'm just sharing an email that I had sent out to our church family just a couple of days ago. And in this email, I said, you know, we had an amazing weekend. And uh, over the past few weeks, our church has done a lot to advance the gospel. And uh, we had over 70 volunteers involved in our vacation Bible school, uh, well over 100 kids registered. Uh, lots of decisions were made. And then we had a service at the park and uh, had a man pray to receive Christ. Another couple recommitted their life to Christ. Yesterday, when this was written, which would be past Sunday, we had two people baptized. And then we also had an update from our missionary. We have missionaries that are serving in Cameroon who just showed up in our church on Sunday. And I said, hey, come on up here and share a testimony. We had kids at Centrifuge, a group of campers at Center Kid. Uh, we heard testimonies from our campers on Sunday. And I said in this email, this doesn't even touch on the services that we had at the prison. Our Celebrate Recovery ministry has over 100 inmates registered for Celebrate Recovery in the prison. We have 40 or 50 that are part of our Celebrate Recovery ministry at the church. We have numerous small groups that meet weekly. We have a Christian academy, Hickory Ridge Academy. They're on their third week of summer camps. And not to mention the fact that we're in the middle of an ongoing construction project and we've welcomed new babies into our church. And, and just in the past couple of weeks, we've had three babies that were born. Uh, but in the midst of that, there's been some tragedy. Uh, we've had two of our members uh, who have lost siblings over the last couple of weeks. But in spite of that, God is on the move. Now, when you hear about these reports of how God is using the church, how does it hit you? Is it boring to you? Does it make you tired? Or does it inspire you? Well, let's look at all three of these responses because it has to do with our joy. You see, I've experienced all three of these responses in my life personally. Sometimes I hear these reports and and I get the whole hum. Uh, This is boring. Uh, Sometimes I think about all that our church is doing. Man, it's just exhausting, right? And then other times I hear what God is doing, and, and it truly does inspire me. So first, if we are bored with something, it no longer grabs our attention. And now, I got to admit that I am the poster child for ADHD. I get bored easily. But there's a passage in the Bible that has really helped me and has grabbed my attention Solomon writes in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 2, verses 24 to 26, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Solomon says, This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? Do you get what Solomon is saying? When we see our work as our ministry from God, we gain enjoyment in work. 
I ran into a man not too long ago who used to come to our church, who used to serve joyfully. Well, I didn't want to ask him where he was going to church, and so I said, "Uh, let me ask you where you are serving the Lord. Well, he got real quiet, but he finally said, nowhere. And then with a pause, he says, and I haven't been happy since I've stopped serving. Well, maybe you're losing your joy because you've checked out from serving. You know, God has wired us to serve. Maybe you're tired. You know, if you're tired, you're in good company. I wonder, did Jesus ever get tired? Well, yes, he did, just as we all do. Even though he was perfect, his body, his spirit still needed rest. You know, the attention of dealing with all the crowds kept Jesus really busy. And in Mark 6, 31, it says, Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and let's rest a while. And he said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. You talk about being busy. You talk about being worn down. You talk about being hangry, right? That's when you're hungry and tired and angry. Well, here's what I found. If you don't work, you're going to get tired. If you do work, you're going to get tired. So you may as well accomplish something despite being tired because you're going to get tired regardless. Rest, yes, we all need rest, but don't quit. God has so much more for you to accomplish. I found an acrostic for the word rest that comes out of Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Remember, Jesus says, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Well, that are our times of rest are times of restoration, restoring our energy, restoring our mental capacity. It's a restoring of our health. You know, your body does the best healing when you're sleeping. That's why when you get sick, it said, go to bed, right? Uh, you get a headache, take two aspirin and call me in the morning. Your body restores itself when it's resting. Uh, letter E stands for encourage. Come unto me, all you who are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Isn't that encouraging to you know that God gives us rest? That word encouragement is such a wonderful word. When we get discouraged, we have lost our courage. And so we are encouraged as we spend times in resting. And letter S would stand for the word sing. There's something about singing. Now, I am the world's worst singer, right? I always get around and say, I can sing high C, middle C, and lousy, right? That's how I sing. But I've discovered that when you put my voice with the voices of others, uh, then it kind of blends together really good. And we make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all you people. So sing unto the Lord. That is a way of resting. You know, my wife has a pretty good singing voice. As a matter of fact, uh, when we first started the church, she was on the very first worship team that we have. And sometimes we'll be traveling down the road and my wife would just start singing, especially as we get tired in the travel and she just starts singing. And it just brings so much rest and so much peace. So when you go to worship on Sunday, make sure you sing, right? Sing unto the Lord. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And then letter T, trust God. Trust God. You can trust God that he will give you that rest. So are you inspired by what God is doing? If yes, thank the good Lord. 
You know, I love to hear about the great things the Lord is doing around our community. It actually inspires me. When our worship team led worship recently, they sang that song, It Is Well With My Soul. Does your congregation sing that song? I bet you it does every once in a while. Here's the question. Did you experience peace like a river? If not, why don't you go to worship this Sunday and sing? Give your praises unto the Lord. Make that joyful noise unto the Lord. Worship Him in spirit and in truth. And you'll discover that you will enter into a whole new level of rest because you're trusting God. When I pour out my praise and my worship to God, I am trusting Him that He's going to sustain me. Well, I hope that by way of introduction, that was helpful to you. I want to now talk about the subject of how we can keep from being stressed out. When I think about stress, the antidote to stress is joy, rejoicing. You know, 154 times the word rejoice is used in the Bible. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say Rejoice. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 7, in the New Living Bible, it says, If you do this, you experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. The joy of the Lord is the antidote to being stressed. Now, if we're going to be living in a world that we can overcome and manage stress well, I think, first of all, we've got to avoid evil and rejoice in good. You know, so many times we just focus on all the evil in our culture, and we forget to rejoice in the good. And I know there's a whole lot of evil that we can talk about and be really discouraged about, but if we're not careful, if we're focused only on the evil, we will be also becoming legalistic. When I think about legalism, the Pharisees were very legalistic, right? They saw the evils of their society, and they thought the best way to defeat the evils of their society was to continue to come up with more rules and policies and regulation. But you know, legalism robs us of our joy. Uh, Let's look at what Paul says on this subject in the book of Philippians chapter 3. Paul says, beginning at verse number 1, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. And he says to write, The same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. He says, now this verse will kind of blow your mind, right? Philippians 3, 2. He says, look out for the dogs. Who are the dogs? Those are the evildoers, right? Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Those are the ones who are part of the circumcision. Those are the ones who demanded circumcision for Gentile believers to come into the church. Paul says, look out for those guys. For it is we who are the circumcision, who serve God by the Spirit, who boast in Christ, who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for such confidence. Paul is reminding us here that when it comes to the matter of spiritual circumcision, it's a putting off of the flesh. It's not just a putting off of the foreskin of the physical act of circumcision. It's one who is serving God by his Spirit. Paul says, I could put a lot of confidence in my flesh. You see, the legalistic Christian puts a lot of emphasis on the rules and the regulations. 
Paul says, I got a whole lot of things I could give you that would cause me to be confident in my flesh. He says, if you think that you have reason to put confidence in what you've done, I have more. In verse number three, he's talking about spiritual circumcision. In verse number five, he's talking about physical circumcision. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. You see, he was a good Jewish man, a good Jewish child, right? Uh, Circumcised on the eighth day as the law required. He says, I was of the people of Israel. I'm an Israelite. I'm not just a convert to Judaism. I am born an Israelite. I'm even of the tribe of Benjamin. And he takes it even deeper. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. That means that he was a rabbi who was teaching other Hebrews, other Jews. And he says, in regard to the law, man, I'm a Pharisee. And as for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. All those laws you guys came up with, I followed them to the letter of the law. But whoever or whatever were gained to me, he says, I now consider loss for the sake of the gospel. So Paul says, look out for the dogs. Those are the evil Judaizers, those who give a false gospel, those who add to the gospel. Now, if church history has taught us anything, it is that legalism, that the the belief that we must add something to grace to make us acceptable to God and to make us acceptable in His sight, this is a constant threat to the church. Even the medieval church had systems of penance. They had preconditions for divine forgiveness. More recently in history, we could say, Some traditions have identified true Christians as those who don't smoke, don't dance, don't drink, or run with the girls who do, right? Now, the first legalistic church in history were the Judaizers. They're described in the New Testament. These false teachers asserted that the Gentile converts must believe in Jesus and do the works of the law, such as being circumcised, in order to be declared righteous before God. Now, even the Philippian church needed to be warned about the Judaizers. And we find this warning in today's passage. You know, using that word dogs, Paul ironically does a contrast. And he contrasts the Judaizers and their false gospel and the true gospel of the apostles. The ancient Jews did not keep dogs as pets because dogs living in ancient Israel, they were wild They were unclean savages. In turn, the Jews often applied that word dogs as a prerogatively negative term to the Gentiles. They regarded the Gentiles, non-Jews, as unclean. In calling a member of the Judaizing party dogs, Paul is warning the Philippians that these Judaizers are actually the ones who are filthy. Even if these Judaizers believe they are cleansing the Gentile converts by the way of circumcision, Paul continues calling the Judaizers evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh. You see, God instituted circumcision as an Old Testament sacrament, but its new covenant fulfillment is in baptism. Now, when we think about baptism, baptism does not save you. Baptism is an outward symbol of an inward faith. It is a declaration of a statement of faith. It is a declaration of your testimony to be a follower of Christ. 
but the act of baptism is a symbol of conversion. So by imposing circumcision, these Judaizers who imposed circumcision on the Gentile converts, the Judaizers were turning the clock back, going back to an old covenant, an old era. You see, the Philippians chapter 3 significance is this. As we look at that old covenant, the priest who mutilated themselves became unfit for service. That's found in Leviticus chapter 21, verses 1 through 5. Under the new covenant, requiring circumcision of Gentile believers is akin to mutilating God's priestly nation. That's why Peter says we are God's holy people. We're actually a priest, right? It's called the priesthood of the believer. So the Judaizers, despite their intent, really promoted uncleanness. You see, true circumcision is heart circumcision, the baptism or the union with Christ by faith. This sets us apart as holy, which is why all who trust in Christ alone are part of the circumcision, part of the true worshipers of God. So don't let those who are going down that legalistic path to discourage you. Put no confidence in the flesh. And if you have no confidence in the flesh, you will remain joyful. There's something else. Put your confidence in Christ, not your credentials. You see, self-exaltation robs us of our joy. Why? Because it's really a cheap imitation. We're down in Philippians chapter 3 at verse number 7. Paul says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, he says, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And then he says, for his sake, the sake of Christ, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, that by any means possible, I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. Oh, don't you love this? I'm acceptable not because of my accomplishments. Legalism will rob us of our joy, but so does self-exaltation. We have God's approval. If you are a bona fide, born-again believer in the shed blood of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, you have God's approval on your life. Don't let anybody discourage you. It's not based upon your credentials. It's based upon the confidence that you have in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul covers this theme deeply, and he says, what can we say that we have discovered about our ancestor Abraham? And so now he's bringing Abraham into the picture. He said, if Abraham had God's approval because of something he did, he would have had a reason to brag, but he could not brag to God about it. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God. And that faith was regarded as the basis of Abraham's approval by God. 
When people work, their pay is not regarded as a gift, but something they have earned. However, when people don't work but believe God, and the one approves ungodly people, their faith is regarded as the basis of God's approval. David says the same thing about those who are blessed. God approves of people without their earning. David said, Blessed are those whose disobedience is forgiven and those whose sins have been pardoned. Blessed is the person with whom the Lord no longer considers sinful. Paul says, What things were gained to me? These I have counted but lost, Philippians 3, 7. You know, I remembered when I, I moved out of my parents' home. I had all kinds of awards and trophies, and uh, so I put them in a box. And, and as I'm moving out, I thought about all of these trophies and all the blood, sweat, and tears that I had gone in and gaining these awards. And yet I'm putting them in a box and I'm throwing them in the trash. Why? They no longer had any value to me. They were just cheap plastic trophies. They meant a whole lot when I got them, but uh, as I got older, I said, man, that's no big deal. It reminded me of the children's poem, Hector the Collector. Maybe you remember. Uh, It describes all the things that Hector collected over the years. He loved them more than shining diamonds, loved them more than glistening gold. Then Hector called to all his friends, Come and share my treasure trunk. And all the people came and looked and called the junk. Isn't that the way it is, right? We work our fingers to the bones to get these awards. And then somebody else looks at them and says, man, that's nothing but junk. You see, it'll be that way at the end of our lives. All of our possessions, uh, the things we've spent a lifetime working for, will be nothing but junk. That's when we surely know that the best things in life really aren't things. But we can have the right perspective now, just as Paul did. Paul says, what things were gained to me? These I have counted loss for Christ. You see, we can keep a proper attitude about our possessions because we possess the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, our Lord. When Thomas Naylor was teaching business management at Duke University, he asked his students to draft a personal strategic plan. He reports that with few exceptions, what they wanted fell into three categories, money, power, and things. Very big things, including vacation homes, expensive foreign automobiles, yachts, and even airplanes. This was their request of the faculty. Now, teach me how to be more of a money-making machine. That's not exactly an exalted ambition. No thought of humanitarian service. No thought of spiritual values. Yet what these students wanted was what many people want. Maybe what most people want. Unfortunately, many never discover those things that I considered gain, I have considered lost in comparison to my relationship with Christ. Well, I want to encourage you to join me tomorrow as we wrap up this message on habits of joy. If you want to be a joyful person, you're not going to get hung up in legalism. 
You're going to get hung up in a relationship with Christ. You're going to find joy in that relationship with Christ. If you want to be a person that is constantly living in joy, all of your confidence is going to be in Christ. Not your credentials, not your possessions. All of your confidence in Christ and in Christ alone. And then join me tomorrow as we talk about how we can keep pressing on. Failure doesn't have to define me. Failure will attempt to rob me of my joy, but if I will keep on pressing on, I will experience the joy of the Lord. Thank you so much for joining me today. I look forward to wrapping up this message tomorrow. But before I go, if I can pray for you today, would you shoot me a text message, 252-267-2365? I would love to have you reach out to me, contact me, and I'll pray for you. I'll have our prayer team praying for you on Thursday morning. 5 a.m., we do a conference call. If you're interested in joining us one Thursday morning for the conference call, it doesn't matter where I am. Even when I was on vacation, I called in during the conference hour, 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. on Thursday. Man, I'd love to have you join me. Shoot me a text. I'll give you the information on how you can call in. You can do it anonymously. You don't have to say a thing. You can just join us and be part of that conference call. Or if you want us to pray for you, we'd be happy to do that as well. Well, thank you again. Here's the number one more time. 252-267-2365. God bless you. Join me for part two of Habits of Joy. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.